podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Rewatch Project uh, with Mike and Hannah. How are you today, Hannah? I am well, thank you, Michael. So here we we finally made it to the end of season one of Marvel's Agents of Shield. So uh, this will be our uh, our first complete season of a show. Um, one down, yep. six to is go. It, is it on the books or in the books? I think on the books. On the books. Oh, oh. could you turn that off, please? Uh, how very unprofessional of me. <laughs> um, was that your lover? Uh, no. Okay. Um, He's away. <laughs> oh, okay. Then. That's good. So no more disturbances then. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we've made it to the end of the season. We are watching the beginning of the end, I believe the episode's beginning called. Beginning of the end, So yes. it's a play on a reversal of an earlier episode yeah, title. episode 16, which was end of the beginning. Yep. Uh, so the synopsis on this one says dark secrets are revealed as Coulson and his team put everything on the line to stop Garrett and the forces of Hydra um, it's written by Jed Whedon and Marissa Tankerowan yep as you would expect for a Absolutely. season finale yep and directed by David Strayton excellent um, who has directed a ton of TV um, including Star Trek Enterprise, mm. House, MacGyver, The Good Doctor, just loads and loads and loads of things. Cool. Yes, so there we go. And so this is episode, what is it, 20? 22. 22. Okay, yeah. so there's 22 episodes in this season, so season we've just uh, reached the climax. So, um, well, there's not much more to be said before we jump in. Just want to remind you guys how you can contact us. We've uh, Just to pull the curtain back a little bit, we've been recording the last few episodes in quite quick succession. Oh, yeah, um, one after the other. Yeah, it's yeah. been like a week of Agents of Shield. Yeah, yeah, so what you might find is that I don't know how that will translate to editing and putting these out, so... Uh, if there is a delay between you, um, if, say, for example, three episodes ago you hear something and you think, oh, I want to comment on that, and you email us, we're not ignoring you. It's just that we've probably already recorded for two or three episodes after the one you're yeah. commenting on. Yeah, I mean, we've we've recorded, what, four episodes this week? Yeah, I think we've got three ready to go. So uh, yeah. a little bit of, of curtain pulling there, but just to sort of clarify, you know, why that is. But, uh, but speaking of which, we do, uh, you know, recommend, nay, insist that you email us absolutely um, and you can do that voicemails uh, yep yeah, yep yeah. so if you want to do a voicemail you just uh, go over the anchor.fm page and just hit the voicemail sign and just talk into your phone or your or, or just email us a, a voice memo, voice memo from, yeah. from your phone yeah I mean, that can be done you know it's easy enough to do and if you want to do that you just need to send it to rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. we're on twitter at rewatchproject and as always uh we appreciate Apple Podcast Reviews, and also go and check out all of the other shows over at wearepodsyndicate.com. So you've got mm. shows like uh, His Film, Her Movie, uh, Film Bastards, Film Rant. You've got the Iron Sequel. What's the craft beer one? Sorry? What's, is it What's on Tap? What's on Tap, yeah. 
so yeah, so go there. There, there's, there's plenty of landfill. Yep, yep. So uh, yeah, go go and check all of those out. But uh, as we have done for the rest of the episodes this season, we're going to um, hit pause on the recording, watch the episode, and then do a bit of non-spoiler discussion. And then if we have anything spoilery, we'll uh, put that on the end so it's easily avoided if you are watching this for the first time. So uh, and right, Debbie, let's go for it. Ever wondered what so-called family films will scar your kids forever? Put putting four or five-year-olds in front of this movie, it's like if they didn't know what death was before this, they're gonna know it after it. They're gonna know it after it, and they're gonna be freaking terrified. And they're gonna be questioning you. Yeah. Or do you have the slight suspicion that your loved one has a cold, dead heart? Yeah, the Dark Knight has got like all the orphans, and like, oh no, we're gonna die. They did not build up those orphans at all. In my head, it's like kill them. Then look no further, the His Film, Her Movie podcast is the show for you. It's the movie podcast that celebrates the contrasting cinematic tastes of its hosts. So join Jordan and Lauren every week on their unique journey through the land of the silver screen. So if you're looking for a few laughs, some fun film-related chat, then get involved. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Noel here. I just wanted to interrupt this movie podcast to tell you about another movie podcast you might want to add to your list. Every week, the newly rebooted Film Ramp podcast brings you a couple of casual reviews of whatever I've been watching and a little bit of chat about our beloved world of cinema. Sometimes new films, sometimes old films, very often both, but always just a little outside of the bigger mainstream release schedule. And in each episode, I also break down one item from the film news pages to offer my own thoughts and opinions in a section called listen up Hollywood so if you fancy a new light and breezy film podcast on your listening schedule why not give the all new Film Ramp podcast a go just visit wearepodsyndicate.com or search the Film Ramp podcast on your favourite podcast app or provider come on everybody you ready to change the world I'm ready to kick some ass next Tuesday S.H.I.E.L.D. fights back in the season finale you've been waiting for I have a weapon much better than a bomb that will destroy you the battle for their survival requires a special Marvel guest star Fury always said, man can accomplish anything when he realizes he's a part of something bigger. Bring the house down. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The season finale, next Tuesday at 8, 7 central on ABC. Hashtag. Okay, so welcome back. So we have just finished watching the season finale of season one of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, the, what a finale it what was. What a finale. And yes, so that was the episode, the beginning of the end. I really want to say the end of the beginning. No. It's the end of the beginning. No, the end of the beginning was episode 16. We just watched the big. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. Hang on. I've got to look again. Because now I don't know. Beginning of the end. No, sorry, you were right. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so, yes, yeah, so um, the confusingly titled <laughs> Beginning of the End. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, yeah, so we've just, we've just finished out the season with the 22nd episode. Do you know this was aired two days after our anniversary? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, I'm, uh, I'm sure that I bought you a really thoughtful present. Uh, or we agreed not to, and we just got drunk. I would say we probably just had a few drinks. We probably watched away. Agents of Shield. Yeah. <laughs> is what we did. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, uh, knowing us, so um, yeah. So um, Hannah, what were your thoughts on uh, um, this episode? I bloody loved it. Um, it was so satisfying. Um, great tie-ups to various different things. Hints of more um, emotion humour, action, just 
Samuel L. Jackson moments. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, just yeah. It was. It could not have been better. It was great. Yeah. What about you? Uh, no, I agree. I mean, it, it didn't fall into any of the um, the pitfalls that season finales, particularly for plot heavy season finales, fall into because mm. and they're things like. Um, Either the the writers have written themselves into a corner at some point mm. through poor planning or not knowing how it's going to end, so they have to have some like you know Deus Ex Machina or you know some um, kind of trick to end it, or they over or they cheat the audience and um, read and just treat the episode as set up for the next season. So mm-hmm. they're sort of like, ah, we're not going to give you any closure. We're just going to uh, we're going to answer that question with a question or it's just uh, anticlimactic or you know and it didn't do any of those things and no. I think that that's really impressive I mean it's funny I mean now looking at and I, I don't want to look at uh, I mean Hannah and I talked off microphone about maybe doing some kind of like season wrap up either as an individual episode or at the beginning of the next one you know favourite episodes thoughts on the season and stuff like that but so I don't want to get too much into the thoughts about the season in general too much at this point mm. but um, it's just re-watching it has made me um, even more baffled than ever about how um, kind of just whingy a large portion of the internet are. But what I've come to realise is I think when this show aired, I don't think... I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to make out that 2013 or 14 or whatever this was, was like this wonderful utopia where everybody held hands on Twitter or anything like that. But no. I would say that there has definitely been uh, an increase in fandom toxicity over the last oh, few 100%. years. And I think that what... The entitlement is yeah. just ridiculous. Um, and I mean, I think it's, it's a lot of it is a new generation coming up with these expectations that are somewhat different, <laughs> let's just say. Mm. Um, but I think what we're seeing was at the time, I think that when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. premiered, that was probably around the time of the beginning of it. And when I say tox- fan toxicity, toxicity what i'm saying is just people being either everything's wonderful or everything's terrible mm. uh you know like um star there's a contingent of the star of star wars fandom and i don't even consider them fans it's a little bit i compare a lot of these people it's like football hooliganism mm. in a way that you know football hooligans it's not about the football it's about the violence and i think that yeah. with toxic fandom they don't even really like the thing. It's just, it's a platform mm. and it's an audience for they essentially side and for trolls to flag. perform yeah. to, you know? Um, and I think, that, so I think what it? probably happened is that when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. premiered, a huge, the vast majority of people who watched it probably really liked it and continued watching it. I mean, it mm. ran for seven seasons. Yeah. But what happened was it's that vocal minority of, quote, haters that you always hear, but back in 2013 and 2014, that was kind of new. Mm. So I think that it was really easy to kind of see that as being like a consensus. Mm. And I think that there were other things. I think there was, like like we said before at the beginning of the season, there was a change in the air with this whole prestige TV mm. coming up. And I think that there's a feeling that anything that is in any way connected to, quote, the old ways was a bit of a target so I think there's an element of that but it's, but, like it's not sophisticated enough yeah yeah exactly it's like um, you know you're telling your story in order mm. you know you're allowing the audience to know what's happening you know you've got humour you know all of these things and um, and, and I think that re-watching this season now 
Um, I'm just surprised at how good it is because mm. when we started doing this, I remember thinking, okay, there's going to be a bit of season one syndrome. So there's going to be a lot of really boring kind of adventure of the week episodes to get through. Uh, and then, you know, every so often there'll be like a good two-part and stuff like that. But to be honest with you, I think there's been very little it's been really solid, yeah. And this episode is, yeah, it's uh, it's a really solid... Um, I mean, they've completely found their groove by now. Yeah. Um, and they, it's got a clear path... Um, the characters are solid. Um, yeah, I just, oh, I adore it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, should we um, should we go through the episode as sure. we do? Um, so we start off with um, um, what appears to be a new cybertech employee being given their kind of, um, I suppose, induction yeah. um, at the business. And, you know, they're playing it kind of... Um, you know, not for laughs, but the, the sort of just the mundanity of, of it, the sort yeah. of corporateness. Um, so we, you know, we get the, um, you know, we get some like action sequences with like super soldiers. Um, I like the, um, there's a kind of confidence to the team and the banter at this point, because um, with the exception of Ward, they've all been through their emotional journeys and mm. they're just kind of ready to rock at this point. Oh um, yeah, they're they're just yeah all on the same page in moving as one unit. Yeah, like when um, Coulson's sister may bring the house down, mm. you know, like she knows exactly what he means yeah. and and just and just goes for it. Mm. Um, we see that Garrett basically now is is now super powered mm-hmm. uh, after having the Jesus juice. One thing I did notice as well, and this is a bit of a kind of TV show minutia that I've kind of got to get away is it's a real shame that they spoil that Samuel L. Jackson's going to be in the episode by having his name at the beginning. Yeah. Because, and there's a bit of complexity to this because it's really expensive. Um, you have to pay um, to, because of union rules, mm. uh, guest stars um, who are on screen for more than a certain period of time have to have their name uh, on the at the beginning. So you've, you've got the opening credits and then, you know, the episode starts and you've still got titles going yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. Legally, they have to have their name there. And then on the end credits, you have, it's the nodding extras. It's the people yeah. who say, you know, here's the report, sir. Mm. They, they can have yeah. their name on the end. Now, you can put the name on the end credits if the actor petitions for it. And I think there's a cost. You have to pay the union. Uh. Um and I remember there was the only time I've ever heard about that being done is in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, the, the character of Giles leaves the show at one point. The actor yeah. wanted to spend more time with his family. His, I think his wife had just had a child. Well, they had, had just had a child. Mm. Um, and he was like, look, I can only do a few episodes a year. And there's this whole storyline in Buffy where um, Willow goes, goes evil. Mm. Um, and he's not there and the idea is you know he's the father figure and he's gone and everything kind of goes turns to custard mm. uh, and there's a great bit where Willow's gone evil and at the end of the episode she's like nobody can beat me and you just hear a voice go I'd like to test that theory and Giles appears in the door and it ends and then it just says special guest star mm. Anthony Stewart head and I remember Joss Whedon going on the internet and going cost me a fucking fortune <laughs> to do that but it was it was nice yeah. it, they actually th- thought about it and were like um, but I get on this guess on this show, Samuel L. Jackson, he was probably all over the promos because the network were like, oh, he's in this one. We can get a few more bums on seats. Um, mm-hmm. But I, when we were watching this episode and I saw and um, special guest star Samuel L. Jackson came up, I, I just thought, ah, uh, oh, it's a bit of a shame. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because his, uh, his, uh, his introduction is so punch the ear 
And then, like, you know, two scenes later, you punch in the air again because he's saving Coulson. Yeah, and it's kind of a big deal because, I mean, he disappears from the Marvel movies um, in Winter Soldier. And apart from Captain Marvel, which is a flashback, and him reappearing very briefly in, like, the um, Infinity Wars... He's kind of gone, so this is mm. one of the few insights you actually get. It's probably the yeah the, into, the most dialogue into, he's into, into post um, Civil War. Um, so it's quite it's a real get for yeah. the show, and I think that you know I mean it's a network show. It's not like a prestigious you know like I say cable thing. Yeah. Um, and you know you could be cynical and go, oh Samuel L. Jackson probably had it in his contracts or whatever. But I get the feeling that Samuel L. Jackson, he's pretty loyal to his franchises. Oh, like, yeah. he, he won't put up with people talking shit about the Star Wars prequels. You know, yeah. um, even when, like, Ewan McGregor was being a bit of a dick about it, Samuel mm. L. Jackson was like, no, you know, I, I'm that's Blair Jedi. That's fucking awesome. I'm not going to talk any shit about it, you know. And, uh, Purple uh, lightsaber. Yeah, exactly. And um, mine's the one with Bad Motherfucker written on it. Um, and I, I, I get the impression that he just kind of digs being Nick Fury. You well, know. I would say he's a bit of a comic geek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he he got the role on Star Wars after appearing on TFI Friday, the Chris Evans um, right. chat show, saying, "I want to be in the new Star Wars film. Please, you know, if you're mm. watching this, George Lucas, do it." And then a week later, it was announced that George Lucas had seen it. Yeah, so we see that Garrus has started in his. He's talking about how he's kind of. Um, his mind's evolving and he's kind of uh, connecting in with like the universe and all that kind of stuff. the universe, yeah. Yeah, and, and he started um, writing some uh, hieroglyphs mm-hmm. as well. Or which, hieroglyphics, I'm not sure what the actual term is. Um, which calls back to uh, a much earlier episode and I can't remember exactly which one it is. I'm going to have to do some searching. Um, but they, I, I sort of vaguely remember they break in somewhere and it's either a psychiatric patient or something like that who's written a load of stuff on the wall. Oh, okay. And they, they, I think the team take a picture of it or they like they don't have a lot of time to view it or I something. I suppose that's one of the advantages of this, just this sort of rich tapestry of, you know, like 70 years of Marvel mythology that they've got. Because when you think about the amount of comics that there are and however many you think there are multiply them by about a hundred there are mm. a lot yeah um that you know it's not like writing a tv show in a vacuum it could just be they could be like oh, hey let's why don't we just sort of like drop a hint of this story element that um this writer did on this comic book in the 70s yeah um and then if you know we want to we can come back to it and that's kind of a a classic um sci-fi fantasy comic book thing as well isn't it is the idea that um i mean even just on shows that you and i've watched in the last few years on like mm-hmm. star star trek rewatch and buffy's that when somebody goes crazy from divine knowledge they always start writing shit on the walls yeah. and kind of you know we've seen buffy do it we saw cisco do it in deep space nine that's when i was trying to think of it's cisco isn't it yeah 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 where he kind of imagines he's that sci-fi writer in the 50s and then in and the then final you start episode, wondering like which one, which one is the well, yeah, fantasy? Who's the dreamer? And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. In the very final episode, he reappears as that guy. Yeah. And this is other writers are saying, "Well, you know, you never know. You never know." <laughs> it's a bit like um, the theories about um, how Harry Potter 
is still in the cupboard under the stairs and, and the whole wizarding world is his way of getting his away abuse, from his domestic of, abuse. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like WandaVision that we're watching this week. Yeah. It's that kind of thinking, yeah. isn't it? Or, or that uh, theory that um, Friends is actually... Um, of Phoebe's. Phoebe's homeless yeah. and she's made up this whole world yeah. um, watching them through the window of the coffee shop. Well, it's funny when... It's um, quite, quite sad. That, that thing I was telling you about the other day, that um, that round table with Seth MacFarlane and the Star Trek writers, yeah. there's a great bit where they're all talk, they're talking about um, how race is never mentioned in Star Trek and the only time it's ever mentioned is in that episode of Deep Space Nine, Far Beyond the Stars, where mm. you know it's the idea is you've got this, this African-American sci-fi writer who's writing Deep Space Nine and it's yeah. his imagination and... Um, they're saying, look, you know, you 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 can't do this because you're a black writer. We can't, mm-hmm. you can't be a featured writer. Um, and he's saying, you know, if you don't do this, and I can't do tell the story, all of these characters die. It's like it's mm. murder. It's like it's ancient knowledge and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And they were talking about this on that roundtable, and they were like, they were saying it's the only time um, that the N word has ever been used in Star Trek. Okay. Um, and they were saying, you know, that that were they were like Seth MacFarlane was like were you worried about about actually directly addressing race because mm. usually Star Trek does things through metaphor yeah you have an yeah. alien race that are you know um and Ron Moore he was like well we he's like we had a conversation about it he's like we said well you know Gene Roddenberry always used allegory and he's like we still were using allegory but in this case we were going back to um a, a time in earth history so it kind of had to be addressed in modern, modern earth terms. it would have it would have um, been a disservice to what they were trying to highlight if they didn't. Yeah, and he said that they the first thing that they did was they asked Avery Brooks if he'd like to direct the episode because they said that they mm. felt it was uh, that a white person shouldn't be telling no, the story. Absolutely. And he said it was the way that Robin Moore finished the story. He's like, we did have conversations about it and say that you know one of the things that's great about Star Trek is that you've got all of these allegorical anti-racist stories, but racists will watch Star Trek because they don't realise you, you, if you sit somebody down and preach to them, they won't listen. But if you teach somebody through allegory, maybe you'll make a difference. Mm. And he's like, so we were concerned that maybe if there were people who were racially intolerant in the audience that make switch off, but we figured, you know, fuck them. Okay, <laughs> that's a really good way of dealing with that problem. Um, but um, okay, so we uh, we cut over to uh, Fitzsimmons at the bottom of the ocean, um, and uh, oh, gonna... ju- sorry, just before we get to that bit, yeah. um, did you notice that the cybertech soldiers refer to uh, May as cavalry yes. again? I quite like that because it it like we've been so distracted by Hydra. Um, and you know that gathering storyline that that you know the, the whole cavalry thing and Sky's parents and we needed Paulson, a reminder, didn't we? Yeah, everything's been pushed to the to the back. So yeah, I, I like I love that it was really early on because it kind of it just went okay. Um, remember all these things we haven't forgotten, so don't worry. Yeah, um, they're to come. Yeah, um, yeah, and I just. I felt quite like, even though I've already seen it, so I know where everything goes, I felt quite comforted. It's also nice that it makes sense mm. that they would know that, that yeah. she would be a legend in those quarters. You Absolutely. Know, that, that, you know, you, you, you can imagine almost like campfire tales. Yeah. That you, you'd get these, like, um, you know, these jarheads kind of being like, oh, you know, in the same way that, that in the show, they always talk about um, Romanov. 
she's yeah. another kind of like a, a sort of legendary figure in there. Mm. And and also, I mean, the it's the internal um, mythology as well. I mean, you, you get a little bit of that later on in the episode with all of the kind of like retro devices that they're using from Trip's grandfather. Yeah, you know, the idea that um, that that shield. It's it's weird because although it's a you know a, a sort of essentially a military espionage organization mm. uh it's almost as though it, the people in the re- quote real world of the tv show view it as a comic book mm. you know so their nostalgia for it isn't not the nostalgia of the army during world war Two. it's nostalgia of comic books from world war Two. Yeah. you know yeah and and, and the show kind of you know, wraps you up in that a little bit. But, um, um, but so you. Sorry, just one other thing before the yeah. the box. Um, you also, just before you, they cut to Fitz and Simmons, you get that um, the conversation of Ward and Garrett, and you can see that Ward, he's kind of like, what the fuck has happened? Well, it's the same thing that happened to Rainer. Yeah. Like he's having the same realization that Raina had, where she's like, "Hang on, this isn't what I signed up for." Yeah, but but his is more like, uh, "What happened to the guy who told me what to do? What do I do if you don't know if you know if you're not telling me what to do? What am I doing? Yeah, what's the point? Yeah, what's yeah exactly? What's the point of all this shit? Because I couldn't give a fuck about Hydra. Yeah. All I care is what you want me to do. Yeah." And he's like abandoned that well, I mean, by he, saying he, to him, "You've done your job." It's kind of like it, it's like um, people who retire and then immediately die because yeah. they've lost their purpose. Well, it's like what we were talking about um, on the last episode about how when you hear about like you know uh, ne'er do well kids, like juvenile delinquents, finding purpose mm. in the army or in some kind of structure. Uh, and that's what Ward had. had. Yeah. Um, but now that's just gone to shit. Yeah. So he's like, well, in a, it's weird, actually. It kind of mirrors Coulson in a way, in the way yeah. that Coulson gave his whole life to S.H.I.E.L.D. That's gone. So he's like, well, what's the context for this? Am I just a vigilante? Am I, you know, I, I, I'm the boss, but I'm, I'm the boss of what? Yeah. And Ward's kind of having the same experience in a sort of villainous yeah. he's like, perspective. what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And you see that sort of write itself later when Garrett tells him to go and get Sky and he says, Thank you. Like, finally a fucking order. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I got, understand that. I have I have a, a distinct An objective. objective. Yeah. 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 And um so yeah, so we see Fitz and Simmons in the bottom of the ocean. I'll, I'll we come back to this in a bit more detail in a moment. Um I like the fact that you've got the uh the luck and load moment where Colson gives an inspirational speech and he's like, Are you ready to change the world? And May's like, No, but I'm ready to kick some ass. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of a conversation around Gravitonium as well, yeah. uh, which uh, is, uh, well, I'm not going to say anything else about that. Um, Rainer and Garrett talk about um, how there's more below the surface in evolution and what will I be. And she asks him uh, the question that she wanted to ask him when she thought he was literally a clairvoyant. Mm. And she says, What will I become? So there's a. I think we're to infer that uh, this is something that's going to be explored in the future. Absolutely. And and when she goes on to say that Sky will be a, a necessary part of it. Yeah. Um, you know, and and to do with her parent parentage and um all that kind of thing. Yeah. Sort of hinting I, I, at season two. One of the moments in this episode that really um resonated with me 
that didn't resonate with me when I first saw it because I didn't kind of have the context mm. is the conversation that Fitz and Simmons have when they think they're going to die. Yeah. And, um, you know, Simmons is talking about molecules mm. and how uh, ultimately uh, we are made out of molecules. And when somebody dies, it's scientific fact that those molecules will go on to become something else. Yeah. So we are the universe. And that comes from um, Cosmos by Carl Sagan. Mm. He does this the beginning chapter, the first chapter of Cosmos, which if you're a sort of astronomy geek or just somebody who likes to, you know, look up at the sky with wonder. Like my husband. Um, <laughs> Cosmos, the book and the, and the TV series from 1980 are kind of like a bit of a Bible in that regard. And I only, I only first came to that around just after the show came. And the beginning of the book is Sagan talking about star stuff. Right. And about how uh, we're made out of stuff that came from other places and that stuff will go somewhere else and how um, you kind of, you know, forget religion. There's something that you can actually, that's scientific, that you can kind of take comfort in. Mm. So it, it may, although they never actually mention him, it makes such sense that Simmons and Fitz philosophically would be aligned would, with him. would adhere mm. to Sagan, you yeah. know, uh, and it's really nice. It's a nice, it's a nice, and I love hearing that. The opening, the, the first episode of Babylon Five has um, Delenn mm. talking about star stuff with Michael O'Hare, yeah, and I love, I love that scene as well. It's just, it's such a. I'm not a religious or spiritual or new age kind of person, but I think the closest I get to that is in reading uh, really smart people. Um, contemplating the universe, mm. you know, uh, I can, I can, I can get with that. And it's, and I, as I say, wasn't kind of um, d- didn't have that in my brain when I first saw this. Mm. So that that's an extra level. That's another great thing about you know rewatching stuff. Yeah, um, I, I, um, I love the fact that because um, after that it cuts to Coulson and Trip about to like well basically they're going shopping for a tank um yeah looking at the soldiers from that hill um and i love that they're like two kids in a candy shop yeah they just the little smiles that they give each other when they when they get in that tank was so cute it it reminds me of bill hicks does this great stuff about how uh, the American army were like in hog heaven when they were in Desert Storm because of all the cool tech that they had. Yeah. And he said, you can imagine these two guys, they're sitting there like in a dugout in Iraq um, with like a a, um, a catalogue going, okay, let's, should we try G- G12? What does G12 do? Oh, it says it will destroy everything but the fillings in their teeth. Oh, cool. Okay, um, John, uh, we're calling up G12. And it's like, phew, goes into the sky, comes down, boom. And then like, cool. What does G thirteen do? <laughs> it's sort of like working our way through it. It's, it's got that kind of uh, vibe to it. Mm. Um, well, I like the fact that when we're reintroduced to Quinn, and it's he reminds me a lot of the character that um, I can't believe I can't remember the actor's name from Moon and Galaxy Quest. Oh, um, Sam, Sam, Sam Rockwell. He reminds me a little bit of Sam Rockwell's character in Iron Man 2 in the way that basically he's like Stark, but without the smarts and the demeanour of a man who beats up prostitutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, because the idea is... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And the... um, 
we also get to see the retro noisemaker. And I love the fact that because it's from World War Two, it's all very kind of like, see here, yeah, villain. Cheers, guys. <laughs> and um, the, uh, here we go. And then we start getting a lot of the, um, a lot of the quipping as well. The kind of like the, he's part time and all that kind of yeah. stuff. It's very much like, that's very MCU-ish. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I like the fact that um, you get the sense, I mean, you see that Ward is kind of horrified when Garrett fists the general to death. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, uh, admittedly, he's horrified in a self-preservation. Um, well, it's kind of like he sees it as being completely unnecessary. Yeah, well, it's almost like, oh, so this is what, this is what, I, I think that he's basically realising that he backed the wrong horse. Mm. He's like, oh, okay, so I'm this guy who craved father figures. This guy got to me first. It's like, shit. I really wished it had been Coulson that had come to me yeah. in that, you know, that um, child's prison, that detention juvie. centre, the juvie. Yeah. Um, you know, and not this guy. Mm. Uh, it would have gone better. We see uh, Rayner says that, um, mentions that Sky is an important part of the evolution. Yes. Um, yeah. Whatever that may be. Yeah. Um, and there's a really, I think, crucial moment where, um, you know, Ward's asked, are you really a monster uh, by Rayner? Or is that... Uh, what Garrett made you, and he says, "I don't know," mm. because he doesn't know. He he doesn't know where he starts and Garrett ends. So so later in the episode, when you see him being like hyper aggressive and threatening to Sky, mm. you get the impression that it's like are you trying to convince yourself. Mm. You know, it's very kind of um, you know he doth protest too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, I also like the fact that you. This is the only time I think, really, since the early episodes, that you get the theme music. Yeah. As well. Da, 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 da. Well, it's like, and that's a classic thing for a final episode of a season. I remember yeah. the final episode of the first season of Buffy is the only time in the entire series outside of the opening credits where you get the down down <laughs> as they're marching. She's marching in a prom dress to kind of kick ass. Yeah. And. Um, I like that you ear guitar thing. Uh, well, you have to. That's um, and then the scene. The scene <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, what I would have done without meeting you, Hannah, I tell you. It's like you're a fembot that I've made for myself. Um, the um, I, I love the scene as well where um, the um, Fitz and Simmons have figured out basically what they need to do to get out of their sort of, uh, you know, their watery grave, their potential mm. watery grave. And the conversation that they have is almost identical to a really key scene in The Abyss for James Cameron scene, right, right down to the whole kind of like, no, you take this, you're yeah. the strongest swimmer. No, I don't want to. It's absolutely identical. But I'll let them have that because that scene in The Abyss is so fucking good. Um, I've never seen The and, Abyss. Uh, you'd love it. You would love it. It's, it's, a, it's James Cameron before he turned into a wanker. Right, okay. Um, um, I love that he finally confesses his feelings you know it's been brewing for a while but i like the fact as well that and this is great writing but, and this is, but he doesn't say i love you or anything well like no, no, the exact words are he's like I've you're been, more than that when he says i've been trying to find a way to say this so i'm not going to say it i'm going to show you yeah and and i think that one of the things that's great about this show is that um and i don't mean this in a reductive way but you can see that this show is co-run by a woman mm. because there, there is all the male flexi testosterone stuff as well. But I think that when you've got a lot of the, um, I'm not even going to say romantic because that's condescending, but just the, the writing that's more 
emotionally intuitive, it shows. Mm. And you do get some writers who, like, I think genuinely, I think Joss Whedon can write women very well. Mm. But, I think he can too. Um, yeah. But I think that when you've got scenes like this, I think it really helps to have. That's when. Fuck being woke. Having a diverse creative staff means your show will be better. Absolutely. And all your business or whatever the way you do is having all of those perspectives and those voices means and knowing how to use them. You know, I mean, some people do stuff better than others. It might be like, oh, okay, this is a, a war episode. You know, John, you're up. Mm. You know, let's go and kind of do this. And like, I remember um, I, I like listening to, I, I sometimes fall asleep listening to the um, the writer's commentaries from the Lord of the Rings films. And that, and the, those films were written by two women and a man, mm. um, like Philippa Boyens, Peter Jackson, and Frank Walsh. And they joke about that. They say yeah. that, that that they'll be writing all of this stuff, and then they will write, um, and then they fight like men. And they say <laughs> that, that at that point they pass it over, and yeah. Peter Jackson will then do all the storyboards. Yeah, and they'll be like, and and it's funny if you go and download the scripts now, it will be like literally like at the end of um, Fellowship of the Ring. You know, they'll get on the boats, you know, Frodo will have his moment. And then with all the Sean Bean stuff, it literally just says, and then they fight like men. Mm. Um, and all of that stuff was then just filled out. So I think that, you know, having that diversity really does just improve your product. I think I think having a female writer as well helps um, not make a caricature of the the female action as well. Like, not just the emotional side, but... You know, Ming-Na Wen has the most amazing set-piece action yeah. bust-up with Ward. And, you know, it like, I, I just think it's fantastic for her, you know. And, and it shows her strength, but also it shows her anger in a real female way yes fuck you buddy i am pissed yeah and you know the fact that she nail guns his foot to the floor like that's a real girl like 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 like, like male anger is often shown as this kind of this lawful righteousness yeah um and and the thing is don't get me wrong it's not like i'm saying um you know that that, that all men are like this or all women are like this well i'm not either no no, absolutely um but the I think the other thing about having that sort of, um, you know, th- those different voices is mm. um, it gives diversity to the humour as well. Because Absolutely. Because th- th- there is something so earnest and, um, about masculinity that it's kind of silly. And I think that particularly I would imagine if you're a woman and all you see is this stuff that's made by men, with men in it, mm. for men, there must be moments where you just think, well... Come on, mate, put your cock away. Put your cock away. And in the same way, I mean, a great example of that for, is, is like the, the character of Worf in Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm. If you watch those early seasons, he is just very kind of like, you know, I will, I will avenge your death. Yeah. But there comes a point in the series where the, the writers realise, actually, you know, this is kind of silly and we yeah. can actually, you know, w- without undermining the character, from time to time, we can have a little bit of fun with this. That's and I think the that, warrior's drink comes yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. And, I, but, and I think that's often a female perspective, you know, yeah. is, is looking at but ma- like, male... I, I sort of also think, like, um, thinking about that specific fight scene, um, so May, 
she she approaches how to take Ward down differently. Like I think if if she had been a man, she would have fought him in a very different way. Like like nailing his foot to the floor was a kind of right. How can I keep him still? Yeah. To absolutely boxes lights yeah, out. Yeah, because he's got height on her, so yeah. she needs him to yeah, be. Yeah, so um, she's thinking... Tactically. Yeah, she's so tactical. Um, and I just thought it was a really lovely way to highlight that that she fights she fights like a woman. Also, call back to Home Alone 2. <laughs> you know, I mean, you've got to, you, you don't get to do that often in life. Kevin um, McAllister showed it everything she knows. <laughs> um, so we see, or so, so we get the moment where um, the um, where Simmons um, pulls him off. <laughs> if you, from they the, don't uh, get sucked off down a yeah, hole. No, she 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 pulls him out yeah. uh, up. Let's say. Um, from the water and then you get that great heroic moment that was slightly spoiled by the the title sequence at the beginning I I literally went fuck yeah Nick Fury and I like the fact as well he's on the lamb so he hasn't got his patch on he's got his sunglasses on you know Um, like anybody wouldn't recognise cool, and and like it was so the hand of God as well like that shot where you just see his hand come well, down. Well, I mean, it's funny because I it's think... It's very Michelangelo, you know, touching, yes. the finger touching yeah. on the system. Oh, you may as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. But the thing is, I mean, even though, I mean, people talk rightly about people like Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, but in some ways, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury is the central figure of the MCU. Oh, 100%. Uh, and, and he's I mean, the one that brings them all together. Yeah, and he's still in it as well. I mean, yeah. that's the thing, is he's in some of the upcoming films. He's got his own show coming up as well. So that character, I don't think, will ever go from that universe. Um, I think he can't, because you can't have a director who's fallible. You can have one that might get yeah. um, knocked about and and taken, you know, like having adversity to overcome but at the end of the day he's got to be fairly immortal yeah um because you need absolute safety in knowing that he will win at the end of the day that he is gonna he's got your back and the reason why i mean samuel jackson was cast as nick fury i mean it's it's a number of things is that i mean nick fury was was a white character in the comics and then Every every sort of like ten or fifteen years, the Marvel and DC like to reboot their comic books, mm. um, and everything gets pushed back to issue one again. Mm. And the idea being is it's to bring new people into comic books yeah. and to make it less impenetrable. And on one of these reboots, they made Nick Fury black, and this was in the nineties, and they clearly based him on Samuel L. Jackson. Right, and Samuel L. Jackson heard about this. So when he um, heard that they were starting to make the Marvel films, he got on the phone and he was like, "Guys, I hear you doing these Marvel films. Can't help but you notice that you know you've been um, using my image and you know not paying me." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that. Um, is there anything in there that maybe I could? Because Nick Fury, I mean, had had already been in a movie played by David Hasselhoff mm. of all people. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. There's a film called <laughs> Nick, there's, there's a there's a movie, a TV movie from 1991 called Nick Fury and the Agents of Shield. Oh, and, it, and it's an eye-patched David Hasselhoff. It's, um, oh, wow. So he, he sort of came in then. And, and the thing about Samuel L. Jackson, why... And I think, you know, that the fact that obviously the artists on the comic books were probably, you know, high on Pulp Fiction and all those things at the time. Mm. Um, 
so that was the big reason why they did it. But I think one of the things that was great about the casting of Samuel L. Jackson is he's one of those actors who can come into a scene and immediately take control of the scene. Yeah. He's got that level of charisma, like, like I suppose, people like um, Harrison Ford mm. um, and uh, and Tom Cruise, hate he's to a, say it. He's a fucking uh, safe pair of hands. Yeah, where he can walk in and immediately you're like, oh, he's a Samuel L. Jackson character. Yeah, like, yeah. He's, he's funny, he's commanding, he's kind of like... It's safe bare hands is a, is a great opportunity. Like, I, like for example, I love how unbothered he is by Garrett. Well, like, as well. like the, the moment he walks into the scene with Garrett, Garrett is instantly not threatening anymore. No, because he's standing on fucking Jackson's caricature <laughs> and, all and of it, a sudden. And it's the same in Star Wars as yeah. well. You know, like there's all that stuff in in Attack of the Clones where. Um, it's getting really dire for the for good guys, and he appears and puts the the lightsaber to um, to Mirera Morrison's neck, mm. and he's like, "This part is over." And you're like, "Oh well, they are fucked." Bloody Samuel Jackson's here, you know. <laughs> um, and and I think that it's a shorthand for audiences. So if you if you, if you've got a character like Nick Fury, whose job it is to kind of turn up, kind of, let's be honest, spew exposition a mm. lot of the time, and then get out of there until the next film. Then you want somebody who can do that entertainingly Absolutely. and quickly, and where you don't feel like, oh, okay, here comes the exposition. Um, and he's a fucking great actor. Uh, at the beginning of the uh, the aforementioned uh, slugfest between May and Ward, mm. uh, I like the fact that it's, it's prefaced by um, Sky saying, "You slept with her, and she's really pissed off." Mm. Uh, so you know, it's, if, if there's any uncertainty from the audience as to the character motivations, there, I like the fact that Coulson gets to use the gun that he used in Avengers. You know, yeah. the kind of what does it do kind yeah. of gun. I know what um, this does. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's a nice little callback there. And um, uh, when Ward's trying to go, May saying, "Oh, this reminds me of." days past or whatever and she says something like you were never on top yeah 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 exactly i mean i'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that, that actually no that's that's more of a genius record versus pencil comment i'm not going to say that here go for it uh do strap-ons i mean uh, <laughs> <laughs> every night was ladies night if you know what i mean with uh with those guys um i, I mean my favorite moment in the episode and the one bit i remember really clearly was um the Fury being like, I don't remember him being this crazy, and Coulson being like, Yeah, he's really stepped it up. <laughs> kind of, yeah, you know, it's the um, fact that they've kind of they've reduced the villain to kind of a joke by the end of the and episode. When, when he's going on about, you know, I'm the universe and blah blah blah, and and Fury's saying to Coulson, You got the speech right, you know, a part of, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's like, I don't want the like, was it like yeah. the end of the world to be because somebody's misunderstood, my, yeah, someone's misheard my yeah. speech. I think it's nice as well, um, watching this now, um, that you've got a reunion of um, the buddy cop team from Captain Marvel, yeah, because obviously that was you know, 20 years before this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when they were, you know, uh, Murtar and Riggs. Yeah. Um, and it's nice that they actually, you know, and, retroactively, I mean, you yeah. know that and they've I mean, got that history. And when you think about the MCU films, Coulson's on his own, like, doing Fury's work for him, like, going to find Thor's hammer and, you know, that stuff. He's not with Fury all the time. No. Um, so the Captain Marvel days was probably the last time that they were doing the buddy cop shit. Yeah. Um, and then he just, because he became a subordinate, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so this is this is kind of the first time that they've 
been fighting alongside I, I, each other. I, I've had a, a growing hankering to rewatch Captain Marvel over the last sort of couple of weeks. I think that's because I of love watching this. Film. Mm. Uh, I really like it as well. Um, but the I think it's one of the most just purely um, entertaining. Um, yeah. uh, Marvel films. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we um, we see them free Ace uh, and free the other what in, um, is it incentive scheme that they call it, which is essentially yeah. Uh, so that so just talk me around that for a second. So the incentive scheme is that they're abducting family members of people. So basically, people are apl- taking jobs there because they've abducted their family members. Yes. Um, so right, okay. Yeah. So that guy at the beginning, when he's like, "Oh," and the incentive scheme, he's like, "Yes, that's very," uh, you know, it's kind yeah, of no one's too yeah, it's, it's, it's a dark comedy beat. Yeah. I think is yeah. uh, I might be misunderstanding it completely, but that's how I assumed it was. Uh, so they, uh, I was writing a note at the time, so I kind of missed a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so they they free Ace. Uh, Mike turns, uh, mm-hmm. Deathlock turns, yep. and becomes a good guy again because um, uh, Sky gets Ace to tell her something that that only he yeah, would know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like the moment in... I don't in, think that would work with you. I think you'd be looking at it like, wow, he really knows me. <laughs> you think I'd be, I'd be just all uh, literate, you, you, uh, literal yeah, about you, it. You'd need... I think you would really need it spelled out. Like, yeah. Mike, I've... I honestly, I promise you, I've got your child. It's we need to okay. we need to work on our safe words for for if I do be, become <laughs> turn you know, borgified. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, no, I don't know how to spell yeah, it. Well, let's not say it on let's not say our, our safe word on the podcast here, Hannah, because uh, it's kind of defeating the object there. Um, but uh, so we, um, we so basically, Mike takes Garrett out, and we see. Uh, Garrett awake, uh, wake up, and he's had his work done, and, and uh, Coulson explodes him. Um, mm. That's that is a definite Joss Whedon beat. Oh, totally. Like, when he doesn't even say anything about Garrett waking up, he just guys, I found it. I told yeah. you it'd be in here. There's loads you of bits know. on Buffy where um, a character will be, "Ha, you didn't," and then they'll come back and be like, "I can still hear you." Um, <laughs> yeah. And the and the other one is like uh, Ethan Rain on Buffy. He's like, "I should have got out of town." The stay and gloat gets me every time. <laughs> 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 and um, you know, it's it's yeah. There's a little bit of meta stuff going on yeah. there. Um, we see uh, uh, Coulson sort of choose. Um, um, Fury out about you know what had happened to him, and I love the fact as well that after all this angst and all the serious brooding, that Jack, Samuel L. Jackson gets out of it with just oh come on man you know fucking hell we're all a bit pissed, <laughs> <laughs> just let it go and he's like you know, yeah he just he just Samuel L. Jackson's his way out of it and yeah, course is like oh I can't stay mad at you you big lug, he's <laughs> 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 the sort of subtext of the scene, and um, I love you really <laughs> yeah and um, I, he's like loved you in in um, in Long Kiss Goodnight mate you were just <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So he gives him the um, the toolbox, as he calls it, mm-hmm. to uh, rebuild uh, Shield and do it right this time. So uh, Shield are now a small. You know. I, I would have been like, "How does it open? Yeah, yeah. What's in it?" He's like, oh, "Yeah, don't fucking JJ Abrams me on this shit. <laughs> yeah. Some actual useful information would yeah. be good." Um, and he makes him director of you know this you know, mm-hmm. small failed uh, organization. Mm. Uh, and Fury basically says that he's going to be. He's like, so what are you doing now? And it's almost as though he's like, Kevin Feige has not quite decided that yet. <laughs> so in the meantime... You know one like- thing that occurred to me, and this is like, I suppose we could class this as a leg of beef. Um, who's paying them? Well, I would imagine, I was thinking about this as well, and we said that on the last episode, I would guess 
did we? That if, oh, uh, well, no, we were, we were talking about how they, you know, what are they fighting for and all that mm. kind of stuff. Who's paying yeah. the rent? Um, my guess is, um, and knowing this show, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually address this at some point in season two. But I would assume that, and this is a bit of a cop out because they wouldn't have known this at this point is that the episode ends with them finding another one of these secret bases. Mm. I would guess if it's a secret base, then there's going to be a, like a bank account attached to that because right. it's, it's a resourced base. Yeah. So there's, there's got to be some sort of shit there. I think up until this point, um, they're not. Mm. They're probably just using their credit cards or whatever. Um, but Their secret credit their cards. Their secret credit cards, the spy yeah. cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're shield cards. Oh, uh, oh that's just the wind. Uh, very windy. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. Uh, Actually, I'm not going to apologise for the weather. Um, But yeah, so um, Fury basically says that he's going to disappear again. Um, uh, With Simmons returns as well, and they they head to um, a base called the Playground. Mm -hmm. Um, They meet Billy Koenig this time uh, mysteriously. um, uh, The uh, looking exactly like Eric. Yeah, yeah. Preternaturally, uh, like mm-hmm. him, he mentioned that uh, Raina appears to a mysterious figure and says that she's found his daughter with her uh, hand dripping with blood. Yes, mm-hmm. um, we see Coulson looking at the hieroglyph and he starts uh, carving. One thing that has occurred to me is that if ever I was in one of these situations where I received some divine knowledge, I really lack the penmanship. To be able to do you really do. You've got the handwriting <laughs> of a serial p- p- killer. People would be like, what's that even meant to be? I mean, unless when you develop that divine knowledge, good penmanship comes bundled. <laughs> well, <laughs> Maybe considering our our six year old daughter has got clearer handwriting than you. She has, yeah. She has beautiful handwriting. Yeah. yeah. And you wrote a note for her, I heard her say the other week, like, what does it say? Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> It's like doctor's handwriting yeah. or something. If ever Chloe writes something really good and they'll be like, oh, did you write that for her? I'll be like... <laughs> no. <laughs> like, she writes shit for me. <laughs> Put it this way. He's never written me a love note. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd ever, ever be able to understand it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would lose its like, impact slightly, wouldn't it? This says we're soup... Soup tates? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it's a metaphor. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so the we uh, we end the series this the season I should say victorious, but also with the prerequisite level of ooh that you want yeah. at the end of a season. So um okay Hannah, um before we go into the spoiler zone, mm. is there any other non spoiler stuff you want to mention or any sort of summational thoughts that you have? No, I just just bloody loved it. It was so great and such a fitting end to the season. It sets up, it whets your appetite for more. It feels like it's concluded a good storyline. The team, for the most part, are okay. Yeah, it, it's just, I am so pleased that we're re-watching this. Yeah. I... I was worried that I wasn't going to enjoy it as much second time around. That's but, the thing with this podcast mm. is that if you commit to a show and you're not enjoying it, you're committed and it could be a slug. Yeah. That is why like, I was thinking about how I really want to, and this was actually one of the motivations to do this in the first place, it was I really wanted to show Hannah the series Farscape because it mm. was the only one of the... Um, that was after we watched uh, Babylon 5. Of, of the big... Um, I mean, most people who 
watch and enjoyed 90s Star Trek and Babylon 5. Farscape's the other one. The Stargate as well, but Stargate I don't think Anna would like, but Farscape I think she would. But like Babylon 5, the first season's a little rough, but you can kind of see that it's going to be good. And then I know that it grows into a show that Hannah would adore. I know you with utter certainty that you would adore that show. But part of me is thinking, what if she doesn't? Does that do we have to just see it through? Do we just have to keep doing a podcast where every episode is Hannah just going, I don't get it. What what what? And me being like, well, <laughs> you know, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't face that. So I almost feel that if we were to do Farscape, and I'm gonna, I am gonna push for this because I know that I, I strongly believe that you would like it. Um, is almost, I almost want to get like the first five or six episodes recorded before we even put any of them out mm. just in case um, and then we if you don't like it we could stop and just make it like a patreon oddity yeah. <laughs> or something that we could like yeah. put out there but but the, but the thing was one of the big motivations and this is a bit of a tangent here and i will get on to my thoughts on this episode in a moment is one of my big motivations for doing this show is my huge regret that we didn't use this exact format the first time hannah watched babylon 5 yeah you, that, that would have been really gutted about that because I, I considered it and I remember even mm. saying to you at the beginning mm. oh we should just record a little bit after each episode saying what you thought about it and then I could maybe do another bit on my own when you're at the house just doing my little spoiler bit mm. um, and I genuinely think that would have been something if we'd mm. have done that and we could one day do Babylon 5 but it wouldn't be the same no you know? that I think that show like it it stands up to a rewatch but um, the beauty of it is the first time you see it, and I think we should. I think we should do still do it one day because mm. I, I inevitably will will want to rewatch it in the same way that mm. we rewatched Lord of the Rings or any of these kind of yeah. things. And it will, and also the spoiler sections on those episodes oh, would be really interesting massive. as well. Um, yeah, but yeah. So what I would say about this episode, uh, and, and I know I said I wasn't going to do this, but fuck it. This season is. I think it's a real testimony to what a great first season this is, is that if the show had got cancelled at the end of the first season, it would still be worth watching. Absolutely. You'd be a little bit annoyed that there was a couple of things that were obviously being set up for a second season, and you'd be like, Mm. oh, I wonder where they were going to go. But you still get a really cohesive story with a beginning, middle, and an end Mm. that belongs in the... Um, Marvel Universe features characters who were in the films. You know, you've got Lady Sif coming mm-hmm. back. You've got you know Maria Hill, all this yep. kind of stuff. You've got you know Sitwell, all this stuff. Yeah, um, and you've got a different perspective on the events of um, the Winter Soldier movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, I think that in the same way, I suppose a little bit like Agent Carter. You know, I mean that that had really short seasons. There were like eight episodes, and there was only two seasons. But mm-hmm. I think that. If you're if you're you like the MCU and you're doing a rewatch, you know you need to include oh, those God, things. Agent Carter is great. Yeah, and and I think that this and and I would say a necessary watch. Yeah, but I think that if a lot of other shows that I love, from Buffy to Twin Peaks and the X Files and Babylon Five, if any of those shows had got ended, got cancelled at the end of the first season. They'd have got forgotten. Mm. Well, they'd have been viewed as like, oh, that was a cute little curiosity, you know, like mm. early edition or sliders yeah. or those sort of shows. Your beloved but, but, early but, um, edition. My beloved early edition. But, um, um, but I think that this is a show where I think this season is a great 
film. It's a mm. great story. Yeah. And that if that, this had been it, and this episode, I think, um, does everything that the show does well. Mm. You know, that balance of humour and drama. Um, I'm, I, I think, again, like the last episode, every character has something to do. Mm. And I think that the fact that the the whole sort of like post credit sequence conceit that the movie's introduced that the show uses as well is really useful in separating out the ooh what's going to happen next stuff mm. from the actual main storyline. It pre- it's like a buffer zone. It prevents the what's going to happen next taking over. Yeah, um, you know, it's almost like a um, a deliberate partition to keep the writers honest. Mm. So they're like, no, we're not, we're, 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 all we're interested in is a story we're telling now. Yeah. With the characters we're telling now. Oh, and we've got this little bit at the end so we can, we can, we can do the J.J. Abrams bit at the end and mm. go, you know, gosh, who's this going to be? And have the, the sort of the moustache twirling. Um, and I think that this episode really gets that balance right and ultimately finishes telling the story that started at the beginning of the first season but the show itself, but, but he's saying, okay, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s gone. Um, this is the mission for the second season. Yeah. I mean, I've banged on about it in so many episodes now, but I have to say, again, the thing I love the most about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is they don't string anything out. Um, they don't rush a storyline, but they don't eke it out just for the sake of They've got of a it. really good judgment about they that stuff. They really do. And... That's another you know, fringe comparison. They fringe wrap is good stuff at that. up in really good time. You know, you never feel like you're being led on. Yeah. And I think the season shows that it's wrapped a lot up. I mean, they could have not killed Garrett. Yeah. They could have they could have strung that out for another season. Well, any other show, Quinn would have been the main villain for the yeah. season. Yeah. And then Rainer would have been season two, and then Garrett would have been, yeah. and then. Ward wouldn't have been re- revealed until season four. I mean, it's yeah. like they, they've got like four seasons worth of four stuff. seasons in one. <laughs> um, but it doesn't somehow it doesn't feel cluttered. No, it feels very thought out. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, okay, we're going to take a short break uh, and we will come back and do some spoilers. Just a couple of little bits and pieces for um, those who are going to be leaving us now. Just a quick reminder about how you can uh, reach us and sort of uh, associated podcasts, etc. Um, you can email us at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at rewatchproject. Uh, and I would also like to remind you to check out the other podcasts at wearepodsyndicate.com and Apple Podcast Review are always appreciated so uh, if you are leaving us now we will be back with season 2 before you know it if you have seen Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right through to the end of season 7 then join us in just a moment this podcast you're listening to pretty good isn't it only problem is it's about halfway through pretty soon it'll be over and then what are you going to do Well, if you're a fan of this show, why not head over to wearepodsyndicate.com and subscribe to our brand new feed, Pod Syndicate The Bonus Shows. Every week, your hosts from Beyond the Neon, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, Film Bastards, His Film, Her Movie, and What's On Tap will be dropping bonus shows right onto that feed. These shows might be collaborations and crossovers, or they might be archive episodes, interviews, one-offs, and other treats from across the Pod Syndicate network. 
So, prepare yourself for the inevitable disappointment of this Pod Syndicate show ending by heading to wearepodsyndicate.com and clicking on the bonus shows. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Pod Syndicate podcast. I'm clearance level six. I know that Agent Coulson was killed in action before the Battle of New York. Got the full report. Welcome to level seven. Sorry, that corner was really dark and I couldn't help myself. I think there's a bulb out. And we are back. So, uh, Hannah, gosh, um, I don't even know if there's any spoilers because we're sort of, we've, we've finished the season. Is there anything that you want to mention in regards to... I mean, um, I, I just think it's a lovely way that they sit up all Sky's, the inhumans Sky's stuff. father. Yeah. Um, you know, with the dripping hand and and you think he's a monster to start with, but isn't he a surgeon? Isn't that why like I can't I can't remember. Yeah. I, I don't want to embarrass myself by trying to remember. I mean ultimately There's he, something something to do with operations. Yeah, I mean I mean I mean ultimately he's a good guy. He's a mm. kind of victim yeah, he's not, as much as anyone he, yeah, else. Yeah, he's not a bad it's guy. It's Carl McLaughlin for Christ's sake. Yeah, exactly. He's Agent Cooper. Yeah. He likes black coffee. Yeah, and donuts and cherry pie. Mm. Obviously, that's what they're saying up here. Mm. It's funny as well, like, I can't remember what is next for Ward. I remember him, like, Framework Ward and then Monster Ward. The the next thing, the, the next scene specifically that I remember him, and I've, I honestly have no idea how far through the season... Or if it's even this season, because remember, after season three, he comes back as like the entity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's in a a warehouse or a car parking building, and he's shooting the good guys from a distance. And there's a whole thing going on. That's the that's the thing that I next remember about Cause, him. Cause my, I would say that the probably the first half of season two is my haziest memory mm. of the show. I think... So it's going to be interesting it, from a rewatch perspective. Because it changes so dramatically. Um, and, of course, we're going to have new characters introduced. Yeah, like one, a lot of new characters. Yeah, but one thing that um, surprised me when I was looking at IMDb at the cast lists, I hadn't realised that Adrian Pilecki's character isn't in it from the very beginning. She comes in it. Yeah, because I always associate her and the Nick Blood character as being... Yeah, it's coming in together, but they don't. I've got... She comes in about halfway through. I've got, and we should watch this at some point, never aired the two-hour pilot episode written and directed by Jeffrey Bell of the spin-off show with them two. Oh, yeah. um, That was, was Mockingbird and I can't remember what it's called. Oh, no, Marvel's Most Wanted, it's called. They shot the pilot and it never went to series. It's meant to be really good, but um, we'll have to, just as a curiosity, we'll yeah. have to watch that at some yeah. point. Okay, well, um, we will be back to talk season two. Do you have any um, spoiler stuff? No, not really. Re- I mean, apart from just sort of saying, hey, this is where this storyline goes. Mm. One thing that isn't a spoiler thing, actually, but that I forgot to mention is, because I think we kind of reduced this part of the episode to plot, is um, how good... Elizabeth Henstridge and Ian de Castaica are in the scene when they're arguing about who's going to die. Oh, yeah. And, like, uh, Gemma kind of is upset and mm. when she realises what's going to happen, he's trying to do that. Um, it's it's stating the obvious, but they both just play that scene so well. Yeah. You know? And, you know, it's the beginning of seeing that this is really about them. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that 
that people were critical of the show at the beginning was there was a feeling that all of the characters were cliches mm. and that it was almost a bit like, you know, in CSI, you've got the hacker person. Yeah, yeah. You've got the kind of the um, the mortician who, like, you know, likes to eat a sandwich whilst cutting open the dead body, yeah. all of those kind of cliches. Yeah. And I think that there was a feeling that, for example, Fitz and Simmons were, oh, they were the techie guys, you know. Yeah, if yeah. it had been made 10 years earlier, he'd have been played by Seth Green or yeah. Justin Long, you know, mm. there was that kind of thing. And... Uh, but I think that the whole one of the things about Agents of Shield was that uh, most of the characters when he started at were cliches because it's a comic book universe, and they've kind of subverted us some of those. Like Ward's a great example of that subversion, you mm. know. And I think that that scene in this episode when they're having that emotional moment, if you contrast that with their early scenes at the beginning of season one and how they did just seem like, oh yeah, we've got the kind of like the plummy British characters mm. who were all clever you know with their iPads going oh gosh you guys with your violence are so objectionable mm. and then look at where they are at the end of the same season which was made in the same creative burst yeah um, that's amazing mm. yeah no absolutely actually there's one thing for anyone who has watched all of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. but you haven't watched Agent Carter yeah you absolutely have to watch Agent Carter yeah because you know the main dude yeah. is my, in Agents my other of advi- S.H.I.E.L.D. My other bits of advice, if you watched this season and you enjoyed it, or you've watched it before you're enjoying it, is definitely recommend Fringe as well. That's another oh, show God, that's yeah. very stylistically similar. A lot of the same pe- sort of technical people um, you know, working on the show as well. Uh, Alias as well, I think, is another show that if yeah. you enjoyed this, um, you, you would enjoy as well. We mentioned on the last episode Dollhouse and Dr. Horrible. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of the same people behind that and a lot of the same sensibilities mm. were involved in that as well. And and also, particularly this episode, again, the, the James Cameron's The Abyss, it's, it's quite shocking how much stuff from this episode is directly taken it's, from that. It's funny how much, like, I, I actually thought they were in that box under the sea for a lot longer. It's because but, of the repercussions of it. Uh, yeah, it's Like, it, it's it grows in the story. It, it, like, it's the one thing that I really well, you've got, significantly you, you've got the, you've got the, the recuperation of Fitz. Well, uh, he, he's like a different person yeah. at the start and, of season and, two. And that's how um, Mac is brought into the show yeah. as well. Is he's assigned him to sort of like help. rehab work. Mm. And then you've got, and then when Ward returns later on, there's a lot of scenes between Fitz and Ward where he's kind of, you know, vengeful and yeah. sort of like coming back so it's it, it kind of makes it feel like the actual event itself is kind of small but it's you know it's yeah. big it's big in the show you know yeah uh it's like the you know the the death of laura palmer you know it's it happens yeah. off screen and then it's just you know this Massive. this acorn yeah but so, okay so that's us for season one uh we will be back with you with the beginning of season two uh very soon so uh that is us guys uh what do you want to bring up the name of the episode just so you can uh give the um sure the, the tail of the tape for the uh Next. Okay. Season two, episode one is called Shadows. Synopsis says Carl Creel is sent after an item that was stolen from Hydra during World War II. Fitz tries to cope with his mental issues. Um, it's directed by Vincent Messiano, who we know and love from many other episodes. Yep. Um, written by Jed Whedon, Marissa Tankeroan, and Daniel J. Doyle. Cool. So he he wrote uh, one just recently. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well, good for you, Daniel J. Doyle. Um, it does say staff writer 
brackets, uncredited. So, you know. Did a polish. Maybe he dotted the I's and crossed the T's. Did the photo stats. Yeah. Cool. All right, that's for this week, guys. Um, we will see you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. <laughs>